think editorializing on interesting facts is sort of like the gist of it. What does factual even mean anyway? I mean, it certainly means different things to different people. Clicked. 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 Go. Welcome to uh, Feature Creep. Welcome to f- Feature Creep. <gasps> Colon. Colon. Built-in microwave. Uh, Built-in microwave semicolon. Shorts. Uh, shorts. Put uh-huh. your shorts on. Mm-hmm. This is Logical Fallacies number three, the final in our little mini-series on Logical Fallacies. Well, let's not be too hasty. <clears throat> ha, ha, ha. The first Logical Fallacy we'd like to tell you about right now is uh, hasty generalization. Right. And, and what Purdue Owl has to say about this is that this is a conclusion based on insufficient or biased evidence. So you may be making... Uh, a conclusion before you have all of the actual information that would inform that conclusion. Right. Um, is like, what they're saying. Like I immediately think of um, in the movie office space, which uh, in an earlier episode you were mentioning, well earlier, another episode we were recording today when you were talking about the swing line stapler stapler. I, and, I believe you have my stapler. And then what's his name is uh, he's making the jump to conclusions, Matt. <gasps> yes. Yeah. The yes, the guy who works Tom, I think. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, and he's like at home. He's like, look, I'm making a jump to conclusion. Matter. It's like insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was after he was like backing out of his driveway, uh-huh. and he gets creamed in a T-bone accident <laughs> by like a drunk driver or something. And yeah. the the upside to him being in like a full body cast with a head halo uh-huh. is that he now has time to make his jump to conclusions, Matt, which he's always wanted to do, but uh-huh. he never had. Have the spiritual energy to go through with it because his job sucks his soul so much. Uh, yes. The irony, of course, being that now that he's able to make his jump to conclusions, Matt, he can't jump. Right. Yeah, it's real good. Yeah. So good. I also love an office space when he, when at the very beginning, the main character goes to like the family and marriage therapist or whatever with yes. his like bitchy girlfriend and um, and he's like so basically every day of my life is worse than the one before it and that means on any given day when you see me it's the worst day of my life <laughs> so good <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> cackle cackle uh-huh um, um yeah so so yeah hasty generalizations, hasty generalizations. Yeah. so like uh, an example that they give at purdue owl is um even though it's only the first day i can tell this is going to be a boring course right yeah and and of course what it's like the cliche of don't judge a book by its cover um yeah yeah so uh yeah, that's a good one. Logical fallacies, hasty generalization. Um, that's uh, it's interesting. I imagine there are like more subtle versions of this that uh, probably we get into more trouble with um, in modern cor- discourse or sort of public mm. discourse. Um, I can't think of any right now. I imagine. I think hasty generalizations like here's a here's one that I think is especially damaging um and it has to do with the way that people treat people who use substances and or um yeah. the way that people treat people who who 
do sex work is the idea it's a victim blaming thing like i think victim blaming is a form of hasty generalization sure yeah where you assume that like something justifies the result that you're witnessing and that thing is probably something about the person so like that could also be ad hominem but um like a hasty generalization would be that you know somebody coming into the hospital who needs care i don't know i now well, i'm like I, i'm imagining track, no but i mean i in many ways like a lot of these play well together right so ad hom- yes. hominem plays on people's hasty generalizations right you yeah. sort of you're attacking um you know to kind of use your first example uh you know trump did this most recently in attempting to make an ad hominem attack on um biden by first of all making the you know trying to connect biden to the behaviors of his son and then oh, also right. making a hasty generalization about the nature of his son because his son had a drug problem right and so um which yeah you know hunter, hunter biden had a drug problem ergo he must be a criminal right ergo uh biden you know must also be you know joe biden must also right. be a criminal um right which everybody in the Biden family is a criminal because Hunter Biden had a drug problem. There's your hasty generalization. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. On top of them. Right. It's also playing on the hasty generalization that other people have the hasty generalization that someone who does drugs must be a bad person inherently. Um, Right. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, like the uh, Purdue owl says, um, uh, you have to have sufficient evidence to base a conclusion on. And so, like, one piece of information being the thing that makes you conclude something in general is not enough information to make a conclusion. Right, right. Um, it's not enough to conclude anything. And so, um, you know, as something... I, I struggle with this, too, because I think, like, hum- ev- from an evolutionary, biological evolutionary perspective... The less energy you put into a system, the better your chances of surviving and surviving for longer. Yeah. And so this is like there's a biological imperative to be good at doing this, to be, you know, to have biases and to have sort of make hasty generalizations. Um, The quicker you can arrive at accurate conclusions, the better your chances of survival. Right. Right. And so. the tendency is to try to arrive at a conclusion, try to get to the point where you're like, I see what's going on here. Okay. Problem solved. I understand this moving on to the next problem. Whereas uh, you're undermining yourself. If you don't take a beat and make sure you examine your own thoughts and say like, well, why do I believe this? Is there enough evidence here to actually support my conclusion? Is this an an emotional rush to judgment because I don't want to deal with whatever it is? Like there's a lot of stuff that can get you to a hasty generalization. And sometimes you may find out that your hasty, your otherwise hasty generalization in the end turns out to be correct, but possibly for reasons that you were unaware of at the beginning. Right. But then you run into like confirmation bias where you're like, well, I was right. So I should just stop questioning myself because these times I keep turning out to be right means I'm wasting time by second guessing and like examining my own self. Right. And I think that um, it's also, there's this issue in a biological sense, if we're talking about like survival, um, Oftentimes, it it's weighted against it. It's weighted in favor of you being making these like terrible broad generalizations because the consequences for being wrong about it are minor compared to the consequences about being right. In right. the sense that oftentimes it's like, well, 
you missed out. Like if you think of it from like an organism point of view, it's like, well, maybe you missed out on some, um, an unexpected like food resource or something had you not made that hasty generalization. But yeah. on the other hand, that's not a death sentence because you do have other sources that you can keep coming back to. And so you're still surviving. But on the other hand, had you been right that your hasty generalization, that that thing that looked like a scary tiger was actually a scary tiger and ended up killing you is much mm-hmm. more, you know, that's more final, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to being like, oh, it turns out that those tiger stripes are actually just masking what is basically a cake buffet. Um, right. You know, so I it's it's a problem like as a human to kind of think about these things and then try to overcome your own biology, which is, you know, one of the things we're living with, right? Like in a Mm national, on a national stage where it's like more and more people have to be aware of more and more people that are outside of their normal kind of like their normal tribe or their normal sort of existence. Um, Totally. Widen the circle. Widen the circle. So, uh, yeah, hasty generalizations. Um, crazy so mm-hmm. uh do we want to do the next one yeah post hoc ergo propter hoc um this is that's a, a mouthful con- is what that is it is post hoc ergo opter propter hoc uh, means that there is a conclusion drawn from a series of occurrences yep um and it's an incorrect conclusion so the conclusion assumes that if an event a happens after an event b then B must have caused A. So in other words, um, my sister-in-law bought a new garbage disposal and later that day my hand became mangled in my own garbage disposal. So obviously her buying the garbage disposal was the reason that my garbage disposal ate my hand. Mm-hmm. Right. Or I drank bottled water and now I'm sick, so the water must have made me sick. So is this a kind of spurious correlation? I would say, yes, a spurious correlation would be another word or another phrase for it. Yeah, it's it's looking at two separate events and assuming there's a relationship between them that's caused merely by the fact that one happened before the other. And so, like, if you say, like, oh, well, my... Uh, my brother won the lottery and then I got hit in the head with space junk later that day. Like his good luck caused my bad luck or something. That would be like a weird conclusion that's like, and I'm deliberately making something that has no connection to the other thing on purpose so that it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. How could him winning the lottery have caused you to get hit in the head by falling space junk? There is no connection. But sometimes if things are closer related in appearance, it's yeah. harder to suss out that there is no connection. Right, right. Um. Yeah, and that's um I I I mean I most encounter this in um sort of science communication and it have it's a problem even in the science community but um it's especially a problem in science trying to communicate to a, a broader public. Um mm-hmm. there's a website I really love I'm going to plug right now. Uh so there's a um website called tylerviggin.com that's T-Y-L-E-R-V-I-G-E-N.com. And on there is a spurious correlations um, sort of generator. And what it does <laughs> is it looks at a bunch of different data sets and then it makes makes spurious correlations. So some pretty good examples. So per capita cheese consumption correlated with number of people who died by becoming tangled in their bed sheets. And so oh. 
And when you look at this, you could be make the argument, it's like, man, that that evidence is pretty damning. Definitely, you know, if the per capita cheese consumption is going up, so are the number of people dying in their bedsheets. Um, mm-hmm. Because it looks... It must be that cheese causes bedsheet death. Yeah. And what it does right. is it... Um, it basically searches a couple of different databases and then finds overlaps in data and then presents mm-hmm. them as a as a correlation. Um, There's one out there about like childhood drownings in pools and Nicolas Cage movies or something. Yeah, so that's the one that this one's like very famous for. So, um, and that's uh, so yeah, number of people who drowned by falling into a pool correlated with films Nicolas Cage appeared in. That's the one that people often like. Oh cite my god! In particular. That's so funny that I remember that. Yeah, and um, and there's other ones like divorce rate in Maine correlated with the per capita consumption of margarine and as the per capita consumption of margarine goes down so does the divorce rates in maine and to a point where there's like even a dip in the data model where it's like oh that matches really well Um, oh my god or the one that's like ridiculously well matched is the age of miss america correlated with the murders by steam hot vapors and hot objects where it's just like what (laughs) um (laughs) And the thing that people don't realize is that it's looking at it. So it oftentimes it just picks the snapshot of the time window where mm-hmm. it actually does strongly correlate. And so mm-hmm. if you look outside of that, you realize it was just a, like a, a particular coincidence in that moment. Oh, if, um, so it, in other words, you're zooming in on a tiny portion of the timeline in order to get things to match up. But if you extrapolated back out again, you would see that like, yes, it's, it's, it only lines up for a brief amount of time. Right. They chose this one little bit of a curve that overlaps. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, and then oftentimes too, it's like, you're also correlating, um, you know, number of murders with years, right? Like, so if we're talking about age of Miss America, then we're talking about, okay, the average age of, or the age of Miss America for 1999 was 23 and a quarter years or 23 and a half years. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then the number of murders was seven right and then yeah. you go and then it stayed that way until um when the age goes down and the and the age of miss america in um 2002 was 20 21 years old and the uh-huh. number of murders was three like when you actually look at the data it makes no sense but when you draw it in a graph and you see that and they're really just tracking the delta right the change of the data points and so then those change in data points are correlated right and it's and so it seems more it's like been massaged into this method of being like oh look look it's really correlated it's really interesting i mean kind of the same way it's like you know the number of movies or the number of films nicholas cage appeared in for that year correlated with the number of people who drowned by falling into a pool it doesn't make sense at all right it's like no it's really tightly correlated like in 2000 nicholas cage was in two films and 102 people drowned what that doesn't that's not correlated but then when you follow the curve it's like oh okay so from 2004 to 2007 um nicholas cage you know incrementally increased the number of movies he was in through those years from uh, in 2004 he went from one film to 2007 when he was in four films and then the deaths by drowning were kind of increasing at the same rate in the sense that in you know and not even at the same rate like so yeah in 2000 there were 85 drownings in 2004 there were 95 drownings by 2007 there were 123 drownings like it's not it's it's just (laughs) 
it's like there's really no correlation here, but it looks fantastic when you graph it. Um, yes. So, yeah, this uh, this issue of um, the post hoc ergo proctor proctor propter propter hoc mm-hmm. Pro- propter hoc. Yeah, is um, it's an issue that we have to be aware of and to make. I mean, a lot of this is like about making good decisions for yourself, right? And yeah. Um, but if you're making if if you're not making good decisions for yourself, eventually you're going to be one of those people who constantly makes bad decisions, and it leaves a wake of destruction everywhere in other people's lives. Sure, yeah. Um, and I think part of the point of talking about the um, doing the logic fa- logical fallacies was just to like maybe contextualize it differently from the like some people use these arguments to manipulate other people, right, or to sway mm-hmm. public opinion. Um, but they also expose our own sort of psychological vulnerabilities, I think, or like the state of our mind and like the yeah. way that it works. And if you understand that better, um, you typically can have better success for yourself and those you care about. So, Yep. Um, um, the next one on our list is ad hominem, which we mentioned a little bit before. This yes. is an attack on the character of a person or the presumed character. Or, uh, or the projected character of a person rather than his or her opinions or arguments. Right, right. So in other words, um, I think this uh, the example at Purdue Owl is pretty funny because uh, it says, Greenpeace's strategies aren't effective because they are all dirty, lazy hippies. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem in this statement is calling, is that calling the people who work for Greenpeace dirty lazy hippies is supposed to lend a negative connotation to the character of the people and the character being negative is supposed to convince you that their strategies won't work either right so as as opposed to saying their strategies do or do not work based on these outcomes you say their strategies don't work because those people are jerks right right Right. Which yeah. is like, well, they might be jerks, but as we have seen in American politics, there are a lot of highly successful jerks. Yeah. So yep. being a jerk or a dirty, lazy hippie is not a guarantee of ineffectiveness. Right. And in fact, what's really funny is that um, we, I don't know if you know that we know somebody, but we know someone who's a captain of one of Greenpeace's anti whaling ships. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really awesome and funny. Um, are they are they a lazy, dirty hippie? Sorry, a dirty, no. lazy hippie. <laughs> no, not at all. Right. Um, so the 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 point is like the author of the example doesn't indicate which strategies Greenpeace has failed at. Yes. Um, they only say they failed, and it's because they're crappy people or whatever. Right. Right. So. Ad hominem attacks get used all of the time in politics. Yes. Because in order to win in politics, you don't have to be right. You just have to convince people not to listen to somebody other than you. Right. And so if you can undermine somebody's reputation and make people not want to listen to them right off the bat, then you never have to worry about whether that person that no one's paying attention to anymore is saying valid criticisms of you when you're running against them. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> Uh, another one is uh, ad populum, and ad populum is the bandwagon appeal fallacy. So this is an appeal 
says Purdue Owl, that presents what most people or a group of people think in order to persuade one to think the same way. It's peer pressure. Yeah, right. Come on, man. Everybody's doing it. (laughs) Right. Um, The example that they give says, if you were a true American, you would support the rights of people to choose whatever vehicle they want. And the problem is that the author of that example equates being a true American, um, which is a really shifty concept. Um, it's a concept also that people want to be associated with, especially when there's like nationalism happening or in terms of war. Um, so in the example, the author equates being a true American, a concept that people want to be associated with, particularly in a time of war with allowing people to buy any vehicle they want, even though there is no inherent connection between the two. So buying a car does not make you a true American. Right. Um, like there's arguably no definition of a true American. There's lots of definitions of Americans yep. or an American, but there's no one right way and no one example of what an American is. And so therefore any appeal to what being a true American is, is false. It's a false appeal. Right. Um, it's a bandwagon appeal, an ad populum appeal. So it's just trying to pressure you into doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is, <laughs> that's why we have a podcast. Because everyone right. else was doing it. That's right. We were like, well, we don't want to be the only losers without a podcast <laughs> right. in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> or, well, we already started ours before the pandemic. That's so because we were planning ahead. We were planning it. We were planning way ahead. We <laughs> way were ahead. like, listen. <laughs> yeah. Way, way ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, the last one in our little mini series here is um, the uh, red herring. Yes. Policy. Yeah. Um, also used heavily in politics, often in conjunction with ad hominem personal attacks. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, so this is actually a red herring is a logical fallacy that is supposed to throw you off the scent. Like, you know, when you're um, playing fetch with a dog and you throw the ball and the dog runs and gets it and brings it back and then you like pretend to throw it and the dog runs after something that's not actually there. Yes. That's a red herring. Yeah. So uh, Purdue Owl says, a red herring is a diversionary tactic that avoids the key issues, often by avoiding opposing arguments, rather than by directly addressing them. For example, the level of mercury in seafood may be unsafe, but what will fishers do to support their families? So it's like, (laughs) well, um, there could be ways that people could fish that don't involve eating really high on the food chain where there's a lot of collection of mercury and tissues of large fish. Um, there's fish people who fish could turn to uh, some other type of fishing. They could stop being people who fish at all. Someone else in their family. I mean, there's like none of these things are necessarily the answer, but like there's a bunch of things that are not just, well, we have no choice but to eat dangerously high levels of mercury because fishermen fish. Right. <laughs> right. Like, it's not inevitable. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, this example, the author switches the discussion away from the safety of the food yeah. and talks about a bunch of other things. The implication being economic issues, families. Like, why do you hate families? Right. I just said there was mercury in the fish. That's all I said. Right. Um, yeah. So this happens all the time. Yeah. Um, people who understand how to use logical fallacies like this one to their advantage, I think oftentimes do. Yep. Um, 
Because again, you don't have to be right. You just have to get people not paying attention to the correct things to realize that you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the the really fucked up thing is, as I think about this, since since we're living in a very like political period right now, um, mm-hmm. there well, are- Lots of lies well, on purpose. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that I think people forget about is that um, advertising and propaganda, propaganda, advertising, same thing, um, mm-hmm. they're specifically designed to- leverage all of these arguments we're talking about yeah they're designed to pile a bunch of reasons on you for a thing when either the reasons aren't very good or there aren't actually reasons to get you to do a thing like um my favorite example that comes to mind is when you stand in the laundry detergent aisle at like target or a big store yeah because they're all all that shit is basically the same yeah there's not that much relevant difference from one to another aside from do you want overpowering lavender scent or no smell at all right like it's but they're they all do the same thing they all clean your clothes they do it in a specific amount of time in a specific value you know value of ranges of efficacy like the fact that they come in different colored bottles with different labels that say different things and talk to you about how you should feel about it and all this other shit, it's that's all the stuff they have to make up to get you to think that there's actually a difference at all. And then make a choice about one thing over another thing. How do you how do you realistically choose one thing that's not that much better than another thing? Oh, you just make up a bunch of shit about why one's better than the other. Yeah. Right, because yeah. yeah, I mean it's yeah, um, oh, it's a fucked up world. Um, <laughs> but if you understand logical fallacies, you can navigate it better. Yeah, that's that's the whole point of this is just to kind of yeah, you know, or um, you can understand when people you know you at best you can navigate situations that might not be exactly what they appear to be and come out more successful in the end and at worst you can spot someone who's lying to you on purpose yeah and the great thing about it is this is something you can exercise and get good at and um it's it's pretty rewarding um you know it's there's a lot of crossover like once you start to think and use critical thinking toolkit type stuff, yeah. like understanding logical fallacies and stuff. There's a you will spot it left and right. There's a lot of crossover because these things show up over and over and over again, and they work hand in hand to convince you of things that aren't necessarily true. If somebody's trying to do that, or just confuse you. Yeah, and otherwise. I I find in my personal life, I find um, there's a certain kind of personal growth in applying and being critical of my own thought in this way mm-hmm. forget about yeah. what other people are propagandizing me about or trying to like convince me of or or you know repeating other lies that pass down the chain as they often do um mm-hmm. I, oh, my own life my own situation like am i convincing myself of something through ah, like yes. you know some kind of logical fallacy have i come to some conclusion that is um you know incorrect like uh you know for instance like you know, we've talked about in the past, like genetic fallacy or um, circular arguments or begging the yep. claim. Like all of these things are things from time to time that I try to at least be mindful of because sometimes I'm convincing myself in that way. Some yes. aspect of myself is like, man, I really want that cookie, and 
and like I use some, you know, logical fallacy to convince myself. It's like, no, it's fine. I'm going to have the cookie. I mean, that's, that's not, you know, ultimately that comes down to like how much, you know, willpower do you have in your day or whatever, all these other things. I mean, there's <laughs> lots of things, but understanding the logical fallacies helps me think of more clearly or at least attempt to apply some clarity to my own my own philosophies, right? My own like, yeah. state of mind. So yes. anyway, um, I think this was a good one. And I think we've covered yeah. covered the bulk of them. So that's kind of our logical fallacies overview in a nutshell. So thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah, don't forget to, if you have thoughts about these or you're, you know, you feel outraged, um, email us at, uh, you can really send, get, talk to Dana. She's our executive assistant. <laughs> That's Dana at FCBM.io, D-A-N-A-F-C-B-M at FCBM.io. She's great. She'll get you sorted out, get you in touch with us if you need to talk to us directly. By email is definitely the best way to go. I think we have Twitter and other stuff, but who cares? Um, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about, um, since we've been doing the podcast, I've been more mindful of, um, or more in tune with like what other people are doing and like thinking about. And so, uh-huh. you know, you and I watch Rhett and Link on the regular, yep. I think. And I've over the years of kind of observing like their different behavior and, you know, they're very focused on building their media empire, right? Like they're like, this is yeah. our brand and this is what we're doing. And they talk about it on the show and, you know, and they bring it up from time to time. And I forget at some point, um, like, it was, I think it was Link, one episode or one one video, Link was like, said some throwaway comment of like, or don't, you know what, just don't watch this show or something. And then yeah. Rhett was like, no, man, no, don't say that. Like, do watch the show. What are you talking about? Don't say that. Like, don't say that. And his, his sort of, his panic about it wasn't, like, it wasn't absurd, like he was overly taking it too seriously, but he was... You could kind of tell it was like, what are you saying, man? Like, that's not like, don't say that you don't care. You do care. This is our livelihood here. (laughs) (laughs) People watching us on their YouTube is our whole thing. Um, In our case, that's not the case. This isn't even this is our our own personal audio diary, I suppose. Um, That's basically what it is. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know. Our our listenership is going up like pretty steadily. Like, I think we get. Really? Um, it's it's pretty slow but we have like 200 or so listeners a month it seems like so oh my goodness yeah that's so fun i'm like i don't know who these people are because i don't have 200 friends i don't even like 200 people <laughs> I don't even like 200 people <laughs> i mean if hard uh, here we to go like, can you make a list of 200 people you don't hate i'd be like on and so like here's a here's a um you know, like a logical fallacy draw- takeaway from that would be that, well, if we have 200 listeners and you don't even like 200 people, then statistically, it's likely that if you're listening to this, one of you is not liked by Meg. <laughs> 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 but that's a logical fallacy, right? Like that's, that's uh, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, I, I could like 200 people. I just haven't met those 200 people yeah, yet. It, right. No, it's, it's probably because you're all busy listening to this podcast instead of hanging out with us. Yes. Well, exactly. we can't hang out anyway. So No, no. Um, we're all just here, not together. Right. We're Yeah. Well, we're sort of together. You're listening to us. And as we said, if you email us, you can yeah. uh, be part of the conversation. We'll, uh, you know try to respond and or talk about it on the podcast if you have something that you're, you've thought about. 
I wonder like what the largest number of people on a single podcast is like, you know, usually it's like two people or like yeah. two or three people with guests or something like that. And I'm like, I wonder, I wonder if we had a bunch of people listening who had recording equipment, if we could make some kind of insane daisy chain podcast where like 10 of us are on it at once. I, I mean, I'm sure we could. We could pull it off. Um, that would be pretty Has fun. anyone done this before? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think at some point you cross over. I, I imagine there's a threshold where the conversation falls apart. I've seen some podcasts where I think like four to six people. Um, four seems like a reasonably manageable conversation. I mean, you have to understand it's basically like recording a conversation between people. And so... At some point, if you have more people, it becomes like a lecture where, um, you know, you have somebody. It, it's like I just think of Zoom calls where anything over four or five people, it, everyone has to mute their mics and basically just let one person talk most of the time um, or have a really structured version of like how you pass the pass the control of who's talking. Well, I think for science, we yes. should figure out what the upper limit on podcast Okay. Population is. I'm into this. Yeah. I've got some other friends I've been wanting to rope in. It would be a good excuse as any. So let's rope them in. Let's okay. rope them in. And then let's rope them in in such a way that once they're roped in, they're complicit. And so they can't escape because they're guilty too. Yes. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Great. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.